0: You're listening to The Uncommon Podcast, where we celebrate the stories of men and women who are living uncommon lives. These individuals pursue excellence and purpose in their relationships and work. They optimize their health and stewardship, and they embody victorious vision and fervent faith. Be inspired and encouraged to follow your own uncommon path and live a life of authenticity, accountability, and adventure. Welcome to the Uncommon Podcast. I am your host, Ryan, and today's episode is called Solitude. And I'll be talking through my reflections from spending 24 hours in dark silence. So I want to start by sharing a quote that says I've discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, and that they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. And that was from philosopher Blaise Pascal, 1670. And while I don't, wouldn't agree fully that all of man's unhappiness arises from a single fact in that they can't sit quietly in a room, I do think it's very telling that most of us really struggle to sit still uh, in solitude for any prolonged amount of time. And solitude is a... concept that I've been considering more and more just from hearing different people talk about it on various podcasts, reading about it in books. And it's something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind, even from a biblical standpoint, just this idea of solitude as it is shared in God's word. Um, It's always been something that's intrigued me. And it wasn't until recently that I kind of took my first foray into that experience. So I'll start by Kind of trying to define what solitude is and I'll, I'll say there's no simple definition or approach but one definition from vivek murthy who's a physician and, and the vice admiral in the u.s public health service corps said that solitude is a state of peaceful aloneness or voluntary isolation It is an opportunity for self-reflection and a chance to connect with ourselves without distraction or disturbance. Developing comfort with solitude then is an essential part of strengthening our connection to ourselves and by extension, enabling our connection with others. And I think it's worth noting that there is a difference between solitude and loneliness. And as we are now several years removed from uh, the COVID outbreak and, and lockdowns widespread, You know, there were a lot of studies that came out um, that that really delved into the data and information around the detriments of loneliness and how it contributed to, you know, widespread uh, anxiety, uh, depression, even suicidal ideations. And so I think it is important to note that solitude is not the same as, as loneliness. You can be in a room full of people and still feel lonely because you don't have those connections. At the same time, you can be on your own and not feel lonely um, because you're, you're at ease with who you are. Um, If you are someone who is, is spiritual or has a relationship with God, I mean, you can be comforted by, by God's presence. So there's even the spiritual supernatural component there. Um, And, just to share kind of why I decided to do, why did I decide to spend 24 hours in a dark, quiet room by myself? Like I said, it's just been a, solitude's been a topic that's just kind of been coming more and more on my radar as of late. And over the past year, as I've been building The Uncommon, I really tried to enter into what my own uncommon journey looks like. And I don't, I don't want to be someone who promotes a message of living an uncommon life while I'm living, you know, a common existence. So I'm always asking myself questions like what is a new way I can push myself mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. And where have I gotten too complacent or comfortable in life? And how can I break that uh, unhelpful pattern? And so solitude was just something that seemed like a no brainer. Um, and I'll get into a lot of the, the benefits and the, the reasons why that specific, um, practice was something that challenged and and benefited me in in my own uncommon journey. And even to get into some of the scriptural or biblical uh, reasons behind this. So it's worth noting that almost every significant figure in the Bible experienced some type of solitude. So you think of individuals like Jacob, Joseph, Elijah, Moses, David, Daniel, Paul, obviously Jesus comes to mind. All these individuals experience some type of solitude, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. And it was in these moments, these times of being alone, where they were removed from everything and everyone, that we see that these individuals really have their greatest encounters with the living God. So you think of Jacob. He was fleeing from his brother Esau in solitude. He wrestles with God one night. Joseph is uh, forgotten and abandoned in prison, and that's where... He has his prophetic visions from the Lord. Elijah is fleeing for his life. He encounters God and his provision in the wilderness. Moses spends 40 years in the desert, encounters God in the burning bush, also spent 40 days in in prayer and fasting on the mountaintop, and that's where God gives him the, the Ten Commandments. David, additionally, is fleeing from Saul, and then his son Absalom later, and David wrote the Psalms, and that really gets into the human condition, just the deepest emotions that we feel and just the psychological upheaval we can can feel in times of, of trial. Daniel prayed in solitude three times a day and then was thrown into a lion's den overnight where he was alone with lions. And you can believe that he was praying and obviously experienced God's protection and deliverance. Paul spent much time alone during his ministry. He was the greatest missionary who ever lived. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, obviously had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then Jesus, of course, modeled solitude and prayer. The Gospels frequently mention how Jesus would go off to a solitary place and, and pray for long periods of time. You can read about that in Mark one thirty-five or Luke 6.12. So those are some of the spiritual, biblical I think, reasons uh, behind why it's worthwhile for us to explore solitude. And then there's just a lot of health benefits. You know, for me, I really wanted to break kind of from this addiction to the screen and the need, uh, just to confess, like a need to be entertained. A lot of times I'm reading the news or I'm just like going on YouTube trying to, I don't know, mindlessly find videos that are, are entertaining or it's on Instagram and you're just scrolling and you're looking for that dopamine hit. My average weekly screen and phone time was 14 hours, 50 minutes, which is about three hours and 42 minutes a day. You know, even as I took one day off from my phone, I saw that um, percentage drop about 35%. Spending time in solitude also will heighten our sense of creativity. There's a 2020 study published in the Journal of Nature Communications that found that perceived social I- social isolation led to increased activity in the neural circuits Related to imagination. So simply put, when you remove the burden of social stimulation, you free up your brain to ramp up its creative networks. And then I think there's an element of just wanting to have increased mental fortitude. So if you're like me, I struggle with quieting my mind. If I'm honest, I know that I am on my phone too much. And I also work from my computer. So I'm on screens like pretty frequently throughout the day. And it's just good to have an extended break on that. And then there's just from a spiritual standpoint, again, kind of circling back, like allowing space for more intimacy with God. So those are really my main reasons. I encountered an article that kind of got into some of the signs that you might need some solitude. And honestly, like we all just need more solitude. But here are some things you might pay special attention to. So if you're noticing yourself being easily irritated by small things that you'd normally just brush off, that might be an indicator that solitude would be good. Maybe you're feeling tired or fatigued even when you're getting enough sleep at night. Uh, if you're feeling overwhelmed or a lack of focus, I am um, I feel that way pretty often. And then another one is that's pretty interesting is regretting plans that you m- made that normally you'd look forward to. So if you've got something on the calendar that normally you look forward to, but you find yourself kind of dreading it, maybe that's an indicator that you need to spend some time alone. To share kind of what my approach was, and again, there are many different approaches take mine if, if you want to replicate it or take it and change it, but this is what I did. So I spent 24 continuous hours in a pitch black room in complete silence. I didn't eat during this time, so fasted for 24 hours, drank water. and think I drank about a gallon and a half. And if you've never fasted before, I mean, we've done some podcast episodes on the benefits of fasting. Really, anybody can, can fast uh, for 24 hours, unless you have some type of Medical condition, or you're pregnant, you probably don't want to do that. Like I said, I did not have my phone, so I had that upstairs. Obviously, I didn't want that to be a distraction. All I had was a 24 hour timer that I bought from a store, and I put that on the outside of the door so I wouldn't be tempted to check it, but I would hear when it beeped, indicating that my 24 hours was complete. I spent time praying silently. Taking inventory of my life, practicing gratitude was a big part, focused on intentional box breathing, so inhaling for four counts, holding for four, exhale for four, and then hold for four. That's kind of what my approach was. And then just really trying to focus on reining in my thoughts, because especially when you first start, at least my experience was my mind was just all over the place. And so it was all I could do to really kind of return to my breath was a good grounding tool. And then just raining back in my thoughts. And then I also spent some time doing some exercise. So I had a yoga mat with me. So I spent some time stretching, doing some basic yoga like downward dog. Did some inversions. So a couple of headstands, uh, some push-ups. Just kind of get the blood flowing because yeah, you can get a little stir crazy. So I want to share how I prepared in leading up to my 24 hours of solitude. So I deleted social media from my phone. So that for me is Facebook and Instagram. I listened through the book of Psalms, so I, I knew since I'd be in pitch black that I wouldn't be able to read God's word in the dark, so I wanted to fill my mind with the Psalms in hopes that I could draw upon them um, in the dark solitude when I needed to. I really tried to turn off the noise, so I limited TV, music, and podcasts in the, the days leading up to it. Normally when I'm driving, I'm listening to a podcast, and I really just had my my radio off and was driving in the in the quiet. I spent shorter times in extended silence and solitude. So starting with 15 minutes, I worked all the way up to one morning. I, I spent an hour in just dark solitude. So I got up at like 5.15 before my family was up, before the sun was really up, and just sat in the the dark and the silence. And then I read a, a Bible app devotional called Becoming Like Jesus, Silence and Solitude. It was uh, 35 days it included a devotional, a prayer, a scripture passage, and a question or a thought to consider. And then you were prompted to spend 10 to 15 minutes in undistracted quiet to listen to God. So those are my preparations. I do think they helped. I wouldn't have wanted to just kind of live life as normal and then that day just really try to dive deep into solitude. I think it was definitely important that I prepared myself and even just like praying about that time. So... My thoughts and feelings leading up to that, that day of solitude, definitely some anxiety, some nervousness. I knew there was no way for me to like really anticipate how challenging it would be from like a mental, psychological standpoint. Not only spending 24 hours in silent solitude, but adding to that the absolute darkness. So knowing that I wouldn't be able to read or journal things that would at least take my mind off it or make the, the time go by a little faster. I didn't have that luxury. I felt nervous for just the feeling of loneliness, um, not being with my wife, not being with my kids, not being with anybody for that matter. A uh, little bit of fear, just not being able to see anything. I mean, just I think just being in the dark, and I knew nothing was gonna get me. But there's just a little bit of tinge of fear there. Be honest. And then uh, kind of a feeling of selfishness, just taking that time away from my wife and two boys. Um, it, you know, I told my wife what I was thinking about doing it, and she thought it was kind of strange, but I explained it to her. So she was supportive and uh, I'm just thankful to her for giving me those 24 hours. And, but I think I was just praying like, you know, that God would be with them obviously while I was away. And it turns out my older son, like the morning I started, he woke up that day with pink eye. So that wasn't too fun. When I got back after I could tell it had been a hectic day. So I was, back into full on husband and, and dad mode. And then the last thing, I was just like excited and hopeful for what God might do. I really tried to go into it, not with any lofty expectations. Of course, I wanted to hear from God and, and just kind of enter into a deeper place of intimacy, but it wasn't like I was expecting or, or saying like, I need to have some, you know, spiritual revelation from God. I need to, he needs to show me something amazing in my future really just tried to not, wanted to be like hopeful and expectant, but not have any crazy expectations where I would be let down. And so now that that, that 24 hours has come and gone, these are kind of some of my feelings and reflections following that time. So no surprise, it was difficult from a mental standpoint. Like it is challenging to focus and be content or at peace when you're just sitting there and it does get boring, but that's just really a time where I had to press in and Focus on, on gratitude, continue to pray, even even just be quiet and, and try to listen to the still small voice of God. Focus on my breathing. Um, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. You got, <laughs> almost found like you run out of things to think about, but uh, you, you shouldn't run out of things to pray about. It's definitely doable. At the end of the day, you're just sitting in silence. So from a physical standpoint, it's not difficult. It's really the mental and psychological kind of the cabin fever that sets in, especially once I knew I only had a few hours left. I just really wanted to be done. And then it's it's simple from a logistical standpoint. So all I needed were some blackout curtains. Uh, I stayed in my brother-in-law's uh, guest base like bedroom in his basement. so I just needed blackout curtains. Uh, I had an eye sleep mask that my wife let me borrow. Like I said, a 24-hour timer. I had the yoga mat, which I would definitely recommend. Plenty of water, like I said, a gallon and a half. And then there was an adjacent bathroom that I that I used. And then I had like a little, like a very dim nightlight because obviously I didn't want to make a mess when I'm going to the bathroom. You got to be able to see to do that, so... I think why we all need to carve out time for solitude, like it can make us more sensitive to that still small voice of God. So I don't assume that everyone who listens to this is a Christian or has a relationship with God, but, you know, if you, hopefully you hear this and I'm obviously going to talk about my faith because that's the most important thing to me and that was the biggest, biggest reason for doing this. So hopefully it'll, you know, move you closer to relationship with God. But you hear how, people who are blind tend to have a heightened sense of hearing. And I think in a similar way, when we dole our senses by removing that external stimulation, like sound, sight and smells, we're in a sense, awakening our hearts to hear from God. And, you know, we can pray and read and worship in community with other people. And that's great. But when we take time to do those disciplines in a state of solitude, I think it can help us achieve a greater focus and enhance our experience. And then again, solitude is more than just being alone. So, just as fasting is more than just not eating like practicing solitude is is more than being on your own and that practice of solitude if you're not coupling that with intentional pursuit of god's presence like praying and just think pondering him and his his character and his nature and worshiping him in that if you're not doing that and you're just sitting there like it's just it's not going to be anything more than just time on your own and i don't think i would have been able to make it through honestly but when we create space for God in our lives, like He's he's faithful to fill it. And then a big thing for me is I found that solitude gives you space to really take stock of your life and express gratitude. And this is where I really want to spend a good amount of time. You know, over my 24 hours in solitude, God really showed me many of his blessings in my life and it filled me with a deep sense of gratitude for the following things. First and foremost, my salvation in Jesus. So I was able to spend for a long time just considering God and the salvation he's given me through his son Jesus, his death and resurrection, even just my own journey of growing up in the church and in a, a Christian home, but really coming into my faith in college following a breakup. And I share my testimony on a previous episode, so feel free to find that and listen to it. But I was able to spend time just pondering God's qualities, like his love, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty. And obviously as being alone so just his nearness to me and that brought a lot of comfort to me the second thing was just my wife victoria and our marriage so i got to think back through how god orchestrated all the events that led me to meeting victoria and then just those early mornings um, praying many times about how to pursue her and i'll share a little bit about our story of how we met but i met victoria about five or so years ago, right after my 28th birthday, this is closer to six years ago, honestly. And we were doing these action walks for our church. So we were just going around to homes in our neighborhood and knocking on the doors and just talking to people. And we were asking them, you know, what is one of your gifts and abilities and, and what are your dreams? And so one of the last house on one of the days was Victoria's mom's house. We knocked on the door and Her mom Betty came out and we were talking to her and she immediately started opening up about some trials that she and her family were walking through and it quickly became apparent that we weren't there to promote the faith and finance class that we were going to be starting. We were just there to meet her and to encourage her and, and later really pray for her. But she ended up inviting us in and that's where I saw and met Victoria for the first time. And I was immediately Smitten, and I learned through our conversations with them that one of the trials they were going through was the fact that Victoria was actually married at the time and her husband had walked out on her maybe five, six months prior. So, obviously, very fresh wounds. And here I am, kind of from a, a selfish standpoint of like, man, I've been single for seven years. Here's this beautiful girl that I would love to get to know and, and maybe even pursue. And I can't because she's married and I'm obviously not going to do that. They started coming to our church like right after and and Victoria and her brother started coming to our connection group and I, you know, would kind of get to know her within the context of that group, but never obviously tried to like flirt with her or anything. And I would meet with her brother just for some accountability from time to time. And so the weeks and months kind of went by that summer and into the fall and we would always, you know, as two single guys, we would ask each other if there were any girls that we were interested in and I would always say no. And eventually I was just like came clean and told him that I was interested in his sister and then he's like, "Dude, she's she's actually had a crush on you this whole time," which was a shock to me. I share all this cuz that was a, a tricky time in my life where for 7 years since college up to that point, I hadn't dated. I hadn't had any relationship with a girl. I hadn't kissed a girl for all those years and didn't even know if I still remembered how, just kidding. And then to, to meet Victoria and then feel like it's like so close, but so far away. And after I told Jordan how I felt, it's like, God just pushed a ball down the hill and everything happened so fast. Like I remember the following Sunday I was talking with someone in the parking lot and who should walk out of the church, but Victoria and she was alone. Like she wasn't with her brother or mom or anybody. So I walked her like a block and a half back to her house. And at that point I knew how she felt about me, but she didn't know that I had feelings for her. So I was feeling pretty confident, um, being kind of flirty. And then I called her mom like right after and kind of told her what was going on. And then that evening, I went over to their house and had dinner and then Victoria and I went on a walk and that was like the first conversation we ever had and we just really bared it all out to each other and I was still kind of skeptical about a dating relationship with her just because of how how recent, I mean, she was still married and so how recent that split had happened and just I wanted to be respectful for her, to her and not put any undue pressure or burden on her and then obviously I we weren't going to actually date until she felt clarity from the Lord about pursuing a divorce and and then waiting for that to to go through. And so that took a couple months and that was really hard of just like how to navigate that together. Feeling like I wanted to like dive all in, but knowing that I, I shouldn't. Unfortunately, yeah, her divorce did go through that fall and then we started dating. We dated for six months and then we got engaged and we're engaged for four. And we got married and now it's been five years later and we have two boys. And it's just, I share all that because it's, it's an amazing thing that God did. And just as I was sitting in solitude, just having the time to like think back through all that and all the events and everything that transpired and and even just like all the years of, of praying. And I remember even, you know, years before I met Victoria, writing out on a piece of paper, just prayers for my future wife And one of the prayers I wrote was, if she's in a relationship now, just praying for God to just be sovereign over that and and knowing, like, if I was going to end up with a a woman who's currently in a relationship, then that current relationship was going to have to end and just praying, like, for her healing, for her heart and that. And obviously, I never imagined that it would have been a marriage relationship, but just seeing how God has healed victoria's heart and her mind from just that horrible experience and really grew us through that it's like most people when they start dating they're not navigating a trial quite that severe and so we got to go through that like from the get-go and it just really taught us how to communicate and just be honest and like pray with each other and i think it's something that God used to really fortify our relationship early on. So I'm thankful for that. And I think I also want to say, like, if you're someone who's waiting on God for provision, whether that's for a marriage or for healing of some sort or financial provision or a job or the salvation of a loved one, whatever it might be, like I prayed for seven years that God would fulfill my desire for a wife. And really, really wrestled with that contentment of knowing that I was complete in Christ. And I I didn't need a wife, but I had a desire for marriage and and for a family. And I believed that that desire was from the Lord. And because I believed that I knew he would satisfy that in his perfect time and way. But it still was hard to wait all those years, especially in a a single guy in, in the church context. Like, the church does a disservice to single people. I think a lot of times, and I experienced this firsthand of just making them feel less than, and even, even innocent, well-meaning churchgoers just making certain comments like, Oh, you're, you're single. Like, why haven't you found someone? Or, or I got, I even got set up on a couple of just awkward blind dates. And a lot of times I feel like married people in the church are uncomfortable by single people. So they feel the need to like set them up and, they almost view them as, as less than or incomplete when that couldn't be further from the truth. So I just want to encourage if there's someone listening to that, like I've felt that before. And if, if you really feel like God's put that desire in your heart for marriage and that type of relationship, like just continue to pray. And, and I really had to focus on letting God mature me into the man that I needed to be in order to be a godly husband. And and I still have a long way to go still growing, but I'm so thankful for those years where I wasn't, you know, trying to date or doing dating uh, apps or things like that. It's just, I just waited and and God was faithful. Another sense of gratitude that I felt was for our two boys, Eamon and George and Just as I was sitting in solitude, just feeling extreme gratitude for the blessing of our two sons and the joy and the immense responsibility that I have in being their father and just knowing like it's been said, anybody can be a a dad, like anybody can, any man can, can get a woman pregnant and have kids, but only like real men can, can be good fathers. And that's something I aspire to be by God's grace. And I'm just thankful that our boys are healthy and they're happy that they get along for the most part as brothers. Amen. Now is is three and I've just been so encouraged at his interest in God and wanting to pray, wanting to read Bible stories and just even, even things that he'll repeat of like the gospel. And he'll, one thing that he says is that Jesus died and he rose and he reigns. And like that right there is the gospel it's not something he fully understands, but it's something he says. And as, as he gets older and as George gets older, like we'll be able to build upon that discipleship foundation and just want to encourage any parents out there, like don't wait until your kids get to a certain age to start talking to them about God. They don't have to have perfect understanding. I don't have perfect understanding about a lot of it, but you can start to set that foundation and just build upon it as they get older and they're able to comprehend more so kind of the fourth area that I felt a lot of gratitude for was just my my health overall so my physical health I'm grateful that I can really live life to the fullest I'm motivated to live an active healthy life eat healthy obviously exercise so that I can brace embrace new experiences like I want to be a a dad when I go to the park I'm not just like sitting on the bench on my phone like I'm up and I'm playing with my children and that they remember when they get older like dad played with us even if he got home from work and he was tired whenever we asked him to to sit on the ground and play with us like he did it and that's that's something that I take joy in well I was also just made aware in that time of solitude of how blessed I am to have health. Like so many people are born with diseases or disabilities um, and while I, I can't comprehend or make sense of why some people are born with those hardships and others aren't. I do also know that many of the people that are born with, with those limitations, they make a choice to not let those physical challenges define them or prevent them from living life to the fullest like they're still out living their lives they're overcoming they're adapting and they're achieving amazing feats and at the same time on the flip side so many people who are born healthy they make the choice to live an unhealthy life so they don't they don't take care of themselves they don't eat well they they fall into substance abuse or they just live sedentary lives and they really take their health for for granted and I was just struck with the realization that so much of our health is a result of the choices big and small that we make every day that compound like do I eat that donut or do I eat that apple? Do I sleep an extra hour, or get up and go work out? Do I drink soda or do I drink water? Do I take the escalator or the stairs that are right next to it? And again, I'm not saying like don't ever indulge in leisure and in, in dessert or whatever, but everything in moderation, right? And I think being mindful of your choices is that first step towards getting on the path of health. And so even a challenge to you listeners, like what is one small change you can make today that will compound over time and produce major health benefits in your life. And if you're married and you have kids, it's like you can set the tone in your family and inspire um, your your family to be healthy. And even just thankful for my mental health. And I'm not deeply educated on, on mental illness. Um, I, it's not something that I've struggled with as far as, you know, depression or anxiety, but I know that it's a rampant thing in our society. And I think even just with the, how prevalent technology is and, you know, you hear just the studies of, of young people and how they all have phones at young ages. And, you know, when I got home from school, I didn't have any interactions with my friends unless it was like a phone call or even when like instant messenger came out. But now like young people have phones and, if there's bullying going on they can't really escape it like it's just always around them and that comparison mentality and your your mind as a young person isn't isn't developed to where you can really process those things and so it's just something that I'm really conscious as being a father with with young boys and it it almost terrifies me to think of like what will technology look like when in 10 years when my boys are are young young boys in school and or just trying to, to navigate that. It motivates me to take care of myself mentally so that I can try to help them take care of them, themselves and do things like practicing productive pause and taking time to journal and to, to read and to meditate and to pray and just take care of our minds. The last thing was just the work that God's called me to with, with this platform, the uncommon, and even in this season of life where I actually find myself um, job hunting trying to find what is that next full-time job that I'll have to you know support my family and the thing that I was struck with in my my time of solitude was just being grateful that I'm not a man who defines himself by my job you know you you hear it all the times like when you're at a social gathering what's like the first question everybody asks after your name it's what do you do and I don't define myself by my work now. I'm, I want to work hard at things I'm, I'm passionate about and I want to find purpose in my work, but that's not where my identity is. I'm not super motivated by money or status or ascending that corporate ladder and chasing promotions. I'm really just thankful that God has always provided and even in this past year where it's been the year where I've made the least amount of money since college, God has been so faithful and generous to provide for us. And I'm thankful for my, my wife's work and just the, that she gets to work from home and be a blessing to her clients. And we get so much time together as a married couple, as well as with our kids. And so even as I'm now kind of navigating that, that landscape of what is uh what is my career path going to look like moving forward? One, I, I trust in God to provide, but two, like from a financial standpoint, he's, he's provided for us and we have savings. Thankfully he's given us the, what I'm trying to say is he's given us the financial acumen and the tools to be able to navigate this time. And I, like I don't, I don't feel pressured to take the first job just so that we can pay our mortgage or our bills. Like, will be able to do that. And I can really be patient and prayerful to find a good career transition in something that I care about work that will add value to others and, and continue to be able to, to build the uncommon on the side. And ideally my dream would be able to do this full time someday, but I know that that's going to, going to take time and just patiently and faithfully trusting God in that. So those are my reflections and my feelings From spending 24 hours in solitude, my encourage would be for everyone to embrace solitude in your own life. Like everyone can and should spend some time in solitude. And when, while I think anyone can take 24 hours to practice solitude, I imagine for most people, like even one hour would be a really good place to start. So I would say start with an hour, work up to two hours. Eventually, you could find a day to set aside 24 hours, be still and alone, and just use that time to take stock of. Your life, who are you as a person? Who are you becoming? Who are the the most important people in your life? What are your values? Like what really matters? It's so good to just have a break from the daily grind of, of work and responsibilities and distractions, honestly. And really just sit and think like if I only had, you know, another year to live, like what would I prioritize what are the relationships that I prioritize who would I reach out to what would I do whether that's a bucket list thing or you know charitable work or just your actual work like that you would prioritize is it a book that you would write like what is your message and how do you build your life resume what are the experiences that you've been putting off till quote-unquote retirement that you're not promised like what are those things that you want to do where do you want to go what are the memories that you want to create in your marriage and with your friends and with your family, with your kids? Don't put it off because we're not promised tomorrow. So those were a lot of things that came to the surface for me as I sat in solitude, and I'm so thankful to have that, have had that time. I don't know what my solitude journey looks like moving forward. I think, I think at the very least I want to prioritize a full day of solitude every year But I think even exploring some solitude retreats, those are becoming more and more prevalent and you can spend two, three, four days. That sounds like daunting, but so did 24 hours. So now that I've done it, I know that it's possible. I know I can do it and it's just a good way to test myself, my mental fortitude. And that's always a good thing for us to do, especially as we're uh, trying to navigate our uncommon journeys. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Hopefully, you were encouraged. Hopefully, you were challenged. Would love to hear how you take this message and apply it in your own life. So, share. reach out to us. Share. Instagram, Facebook. Send us an email. And uh, yeah, you've been listening to The Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. Signing off. See you next time. Thank you for listening to The Uncommon Podcast. If you have benefited from our show, I would ask you to follow, rate, and review, and share our show. And be sure to check out our website at theuncommon.com where you can learn more about our mission, sign up for one of our live experiences, and take advantage of many resources that will empower you on your uncommon journey.